0: They said, okay, now we need you and your team to be able to explain what homosexuality is to a four-year-old student. And so we had to come up with a way to share that with a four-year-old.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. I am your co-host, Amber Archer, and with me is my husband, Mark. Yes. Oh, no. Don't. With you, I am. Oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> Here we are again. So this is a husband and wife show. And... Husband,
0: I
2: am. Do <laughs> the wife
0: do it?
1: So fearless with Mark and Amber. This is a conversational podcast, journaling behind the scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features. Conversations we have. Stop mm-hmm. it. <laughs> so we are working on our new investigative documentary. The mind polluters. And today on the show, we are actually going to be bringing you guys um, an interview that we just recently had in Texas with
2: Snowy Waco, Texas.
1: (laughs) We talked about the snow a a couple podcasts ago, (laughs) so you'll have to go back to Texas
2: (laughs) and got snowed on.
1: (laughs) So, anyway, who are we talking to today?
2: So, we're uh, listening to an interview with Caro Ayala. Mm hmm. And she is part of the uh, the Texas contingency, as we like to call them. And Carol uh, spent 20 years as a teacher, Mm -hmm. and uh, she was, uh, as you heard in the intro of the program, she was working as a dual language preschool teacher.
1: Uh huh. Pre pre let's preschool. preschool.
2: Okay. So, um, and one of the most stunning things that she talks about is this program program not curriculum. Right. Which we'll talk about in a second that was introduced into her school in Austin, Texas. And uh part of it was she was instructed with her other teachers to come up with a way to explain homosexuality to a four-year-old student. Mm -hmm. Now would you like to explain the difference between because they're they're very careful to call this a program,
1: mm-hmm.
2: not a curriculum,
1: right? Because if it's a program, you don't have to inform the parents. Ah. ding ding ding! And if you remember Monica Klein,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who we spoke with a few um, episodes ago, and talking about how that's that's one of the things you know parents are a barrier to service Mm -hmm. us nasty parents (laughs) you know but you just see especially now um the inauguration was last week Mm -hmm. there are many executive orders that have already been signed in for this agenda Mm -hmm. so and and one of the things there was an article that i had just read and it's It says a transgender flood is coming to our schools. And I'm going to leave a link to it because I can't read all of it, Mm. but you can just see what's coming. Biden's first day in office, he signed protection for gender identity and sexual orientation. So let me just say, we all have to go along with the lie. Mm. You know, like we're supposed to get on board and let these people just pretend Pretend to be boys and girls when they're not. Mm-hmm. So the um, the action that he signed, it requires agencies to take action that will, quote, make sure that federal anti-discrimination statutes that cover sex discrimination prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity, protecting the rights of the LGBTQ persons. So not only are they signing these things. At the federal level, mm-hmm. the schools are teaching everyone we, because we've removed God. Right. Forget about all that moral stuff. Right. That's all. That's this all is ancient. The,
2: this is the new morality. <laughs> Oh, my word. We're inventing our own new morality now.
1: Yeah. So anyway, so there's that little tidbit and we'll continue to see it. But but this article, a transgender flood is coming to our schools. How Joe Biden will open the floodgates to transgendering public schools because Democrats don't hesitate to use power, even if they lack legitimacy. They will go farther than Obama did in pushing transgender ideology on American children over the next four years. You guys, it's it's already been here. I mm-hmm. mean, this battle now is not a time to sit down <laughs> and rest. It just got worse.
2: And let me explain to to those of you who maybe maybe you don't have kids in school anymore, or maybe it hasn't quite clicked what this means. Uh, opening the doors to this transgenderism, and you'll hear about this in Carol's interview here in a second. What this really does if you remember a few years ago and uh target in particular i remember came out with their transgender oh, trans yeah. bathroom policy and one of the things and i i'm gonna have to look and find because one of the they were widely applauded celebrated for their i can't remember inclusion why, why did that,
1: i don't remember what happened I, why I, that happened i
2: don't remember either, don't either. but what you didn't hear about was all of the sexual assaults that this opened the doors to, oh yeah, folks, this is what it does when let me just put it this way: if you've got little girls and they're going to public schools and now this is implemented, now the boys can follow them right into the bathroom
1: and um
2: there is no privacy no anymore. there
1: is there isn't and and we can I can show you because I found this it's a blueprint is what it's called mm-hmm. from 2019 and you know they've just been waiting for Biden to get into office and I'm going to I'm going to add links here for you guys to go and look at it yourself and research it it's first priorities executive and agency actions and it's blueprint for sexual and reproductive health rights and justice and when you go through it it's all about how you know overturning all of the Trump administration now, you know, so that the boys can be in the girls athletics Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of these things, and it is going to come at us like
2: a flood. Right. And now just like that, in the blink of an eye, two plus two is five. And so here we go. Um, And we don't want to be the bearers of bad news, but the truth is, and we were talking about this this morning. I think one of the most frustrating things for me is, and I, and I, I I aim this specifically at the men, I think, because in researching this film, we keep asking, "Where are the men? Mm-hmm. Where are the men? Where are the men?" Truth the, is, the truth is, most of the men are not in the battle because they've already been compromised, mm-hmm. because they are users of pornography. Because the, so, you, wh- how can you fight against something that you secretly kind of enjoy mm-hmm. or really enjoy, mm-hmm. and I, we need people to wake up to the fact that whether or not you want to admit, acknowledge that there is a war going on, the other side acknowledged a long time ago that they are at war with you.
1: Yeah. And, and your target are the and children. And you,
2: yeah. And you know what? If you're a parent, they have moved on past you. Mm-hmm. They don't care about you. Their target is your children. Mm-hmm. And we have got to get tough. And that means you got to know what they're up to. So that's why we tell you these things.
1: Yeah. Well, and just to add a little encouragement for the day, I was reading Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up.
2: Never give up. (laughs) Never Never surrender. surrender. What's that from? I think that's from Galaxy Quest. Uh... (laughs) Oh. I know it's a line from Galaxy Quest. <laughs> okay.
1: I think you might be right. <laughs>
2: but it's probably, it's probably somebody more substantial than Tim Allen <laughs> who said that.
1: So. <laughs> so anyway, so we move on. All right, you guys. So listen in to the conversation that we had with Carol uh, from Concerned Parents of Texas.
0: My name is Carol Ayala and I'm with uh, Concerned Parents of Texas.
1: How did you get with Concerned Parents of Texas?
0: Well, we actually started our organization because I'm actually a teacher whistleblower out of a district that I taught for for my last 11 years of my teaching career in Austin, uh, Texas. So that would be Austin ISD or Independent School District. We call our districts Independent School Districts or ISDs. And I was blown away about what the district was asking our campus to do and to teach to our kids. And so I decided that that was not something that I could do.
1: Could you elaborate on what it was that they were asking you to do?
0: Well, basically, and I even have the paperwork right here, uh, they were asking us to do um, to kind of go through a program that's called welcoming Schools, which is actually comes from uh, the Human Rights Campaign, um, that is the largest LGBT um, or SOGI organization lobby group in the in the United States. And and, in our country. And so they developed this program called Welcoming Schools. And as they put it, to create safe and supportive environments for all students. Mm -hmm. And so basically, it's not a a curriculum. It's a program. It's a program that is designed to get teachers to become LGBT allies. Mm -hmm. And so we had to endure six sessions over a whole year, six different section sessions, um, that had to deal with basically that, that explored our growing up years and, and, um, prejudices that, uh, maybe we were taught as children because of, um, the, Heteronormativity, as you've heard that word before, that maybe, you know, and so they they actually would post questions to us during these sessions to, so that people would share their personal stories about how they were raised maybe by macho men fathers and how they were taught to dislike um, gay people or to use those terms derog- in a derogatory way, but not just that, but to, to, uh, highlight that people from, from that community and that population um, were treated. Mm-hmm. And so people were, uh, the, as a teachers, as faculty, we were supposed to come to a point where we would say, yes, we grew up like that. It was, it was you know, we live in a different world now. We're going to, uh, ha- we have a new growth mindset now. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to uh, embrace uh, ch- uh, that community and the children that come from that community, and we're going to incorporate it into our whole school culture. And um,
1: so, what did that look
0: like? Well, one of the things we had to do was. Uh, for instance, we we typically this was part of our uh, professional development to faculty uh, time and so instead of learning to how to strategize on how to teach better math, better reading, better science or mainly math reading and writing the three big ones, uh, this is what we did instead and so they would take us in small groups and they would say okay, at that time I was a pre-k teacher. I taught a bunch of different levels but, the last nine years I had been recruited to teach pre-K, which I reluctantly wanted to do, and but ended up being the greatest part of my career. And and I can see how God put me there for that, for that reason now. Uh, but they said, okay, now we need you and your team to be able to explain what homosexuality is to a four-year-old student. And so we had to come up with a way to share that with a four-year-old that would help them understand. And one of the things that came out of that was, well, you know, homosexuality is love and it's beautiful. And so that was something that we were supposed to stress to the students. Uh, Another way to make that, uh, incorporate that into our school culture was actually on a more academic basis. They. Welcoming schools, apparently at that time we were told that we would be gifted um, a whole slew of, of, of books, library books that they would uh, provide for us by going through this program. And so they would, uh, our, our campus librarian was supposed to take those books and feature them in a special prominent spot in the library. And we were supposed to uh, take them, take them and check them out as teachers and we were supposed to read them to our students. And so at a pre-K level, if you were early childhood all the way up to at least second grade, you would read, for instance, My Princess Boy, you know, about a little boy that wears dresses and wants to be a princess and or you'd wear Jacob you'd read rather Jacob's New Dress and how he wants to, and so you would read the story about how he wants to wear a dress to school and his parents don't want to let him, but finally uh, his mother sews him a dress and he takes it to school and he wears it and the teacher explains that Jake, you know, that he's wearing this dress now and that it's awesome. You know, and so, uh, and it shows a little bullying in the book and so um, that's what we were supposed to do uh, with our students. And um, needless to say, I didn't read a book at all, which later um, the principal mentioned on one of the, the sessions that we were being trained in is that they, she mentioned that she knew who was checking out books.
1: Yeah.
0: And so uh, it was kind of like a, a backhanded way of saying, mm-hmm. uh, we we know who you are. They wouldn't say, oh, you have to check out these books, or so-and-so, you didn't check out this books, you know, grades second through third or anything like that. But she wanted to let us know in a subtle way that they knew who who was doing that. Um, One of the other things they did that really impacted me in a very personal way, and I'm sure everyone in the room, uh, we're in the library and there's about, maybe about 44 people of all the staff, and it was a pretty small campus. Um, Our school had uh, been shrinking uh, for several years. And when I was hired there, we were almost 800 students. Uh, We were down to like 340 at that Mm. time. And so uh, we only had about 44 complete staff at that time. Um, And so they gave us a scenario, and this was our second to the last session. And so it's about in the spring sometime. And the trainer tells us to stand up. She says, I want all of y'all to stand up in the room and I'm going to give you a scenario and I want you to move around the room uh, to show uh, where what you would do in, in response to this, this hypothetical situation. And so they tell us a story about how there are two teachers that are sitting down like I am right now and they're, they're in the lounge and they're having a conversation and they're saying, uh, one of the teachers tells the other, she says, uh, that's why Johnny uh, has so many problems because he has two moms. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, now that, and you're that teacher that's coming into the lounge and you hear this conversation, what would you do? She said, uh, I'm gonna give you three choices, and I want you to move around the room. And so she said, it went something like this. She said, A, the first thing you can do if you're going to confront that teacher about what she said, you know, and say something to her, I want you to go move to this part of the room. B, if you're going to go to the administration and you need some help and you're not sure what to do, but you need some help, you're going to move to the opposite side of the room. And finally, see, she said, if you're not going to do anything at all, move to the middle of the room. Well, at that point, I knew they were gauging our commitment to the program. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to see the results of the training. Um, And I thought to myself, I'm going to be honest, I thought about lying. I thought about, I knew where everybody was going to go in the room. I knew where my team was going to go. Okay. I worked with my team. I knew what they might do. Um, And sure enough, me and two other teachers ended up in the spot where we would do nothing at all.
1: Let me just pause for a second because isn't it interesting how adults who are educated are having these feelings and thoughts? And what about the kids who are exposed to having to make these choices with the social emotional learning, the comprehensive sex ed. If we as adults have a hard time saying, well, what am I gonna do? Mm -hmm. What do we think these kids are feeling?
0: Well, I can tell you what they're gonna feel, Mm -hmm. at least at a Mm pre-K or early childhood perspective. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a computer expert, IT expert, but I do consider myself an expert in early childhood, mm-hmm. having taught that for many years. But I can tell you that those children will do a lot of different things. They'll cry. They'll argue with you. They'll shut down. They'll say many things to you in response with all of that confusion. A teacher, a, an adult, is simply going to go with the flow, right? They want to keep their job. Mm -hmm. They want to be in good standing with their administration. A child is going to have a myriad of of emotions. And um, they're going to react the way, more impulsively. They're children, after all. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what happens. That's what happens to kids. And we were being asked to present material to these impressionable young minds that was not even academic related. Okay, so let me give you a scenario Mm -hmm. here. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I was hired to teach reading, writing, and math, right? Mm -hmm. That's my job, that's what I went to school for. When I went, let me tell you, toward the end of my career, like I said, I ended up teaching bilingual, uh, dual language, bilingual first, dual, dual language education, my last nine years of the 20 years. But one thing I did not expect is to teach children who were teachable. I didn't know that their parents required them to behave at school. Mm. I didn't realize that when I told them to sit down, they would actually do it. Mm. That was a new experience for me. Mm. So I found myself teaching a population of children who were literally like sponges, Mm. many who did not even know how to hold a crayon. But by the end of the year, They were doing phenomenal things. Mm -hmm. But it was more their culture of family life that I had not seen before in a general American population. Mm -hmm. And their respect for me was something that I didn't expect either. As a teacher in the countries that they come from, teachers are highly respected like lawyers and doctors. So when I was asked to teach these things to them, I knew that their parents it would it would be like I would be tra- betraying their trust. I knew that faith was very important to them, and I knew their values, their family values were extremely important. so I could not e- even even if I uh wanted to be an ally, it would be something that would violate the trust they had in me and so that's what uh motivated me to start. Concerned Parents of Texas, because after I left my job, I had spent a lot of time in prayer because I knew that starting something like this would be, um, change my life, mm-hmm. change my family.
1: So this curriculum, then, parents, you don't have to tell parents this is what you're teaching.
0: No, and and just to reiterate, it's not a curriculum, it's a program. It's a program and they will tell you that if you do say it's a curriculum. Um, no you don't because in our state if you want to teach this you go under the flag of anti-bullying. And when it comes under the umbrella of anti-bullying, you do not have to share that with the parents, what you're mm-hmm. teaching. And and I and I know because I asked them.
1: What other things are under that umbrella?
0: Anything that you're going to, I mean, we deal, our organization deals with, our prime directive is really to share with parents what is happening in their schools when it comes to graphic sex ed and LGBT indoctrination. Tell me about that. Well, this opened my eyes. I was busy doing my job and teaching my students. I didn't know that my local high schools and middle schools had um, gay clubs and had activists that were recruiting students into their clubs and into their organization. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until this program came to my elementary campus because they had decided they wanted to go further down, not 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 just middle school and high schoolers, they wanted to go down to elementary school children. And so this is what they developed. And so they would call it being accepting and welcoming of all students. And under anti-bullying, right? So they were not infor- when I asked them if they were informing the parents, they said no, that they had not even discussed that.
1: Where does this program come from? who, who made this program?
0: This is comes from the human rights campaign out of California. And um, they, it actually does extend now all the way to through high school. If you go to their website today, a lot of people call us and they say, well, you know, when we're informing them of what kind of materials and what books their kids are being exposed to in schools, which now are vast, I mean, just by the hundreds, are being put into libraries and being read to students, uh, people will say, well, I want that list. Well, just go to their website. Mm-hmm. It's easier. Go to their website and you can look up their their lists are there. Mm-hmm. So uh, we... We don't have those on our website because you can just go to theirs and get all the lists. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they update as needed because they're always adding more and more books. What parent? What we help parents understand too is that uh, as as a parent, you have a right. In our state, you can opt out, and and lots of states in the country you can opt out. And we can help you with that. We can help people know which states have the opt out. Some of them have an opt in. They're fortunate enough uh, to have opt-in. And, and opt-out means that they will teach this this material to your children unless you say no. Mm-hmm. And uh, parents have every right to say no, and that's something that parents are not aware of. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes in keeping with the reason that I was not okay with this material is because it has everything to do with parental rights mm-hmm. and parental authority. Mm-hmm. And as a teacher... Even I knew that mm-hmm. I knew that um, that parent was my boss I work for them I'm accountable to them and what I'm doing with their child as as I teach them all week long and I think that's one of the reasons we did have a good working relationship not just professionally but also personally they were very surprised by that. Mm-hmm. When they would see something, they would say, oh, well, I don't really want my child to know that. And I said, well, sir, you can say something. This is your child. And they had no idea that they even had that authority at all.
1: So we were talking earlier, and I think I wanted to circle back around, uh, about the cycles of why parents don't get involved. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of break that down, what we started talking about? Just just all sort of like these incentives. Mm-hmm. that parents are given?
0: Well, um, and, and this is my opinion, and I think a lot of people could speak to this. I would say that, at least coming from a teacher's perspective, one of the reasons that parents wouldn't get involved is, well, number one, a lot of them, they are working long hours. I know that the population I served, uh, the fathers were working very long hours, and the mothers were the ones that were very much available, to, um to to school issues and homework and anything that had to do with school but they did not understand at least the population I ended up working with and if you work in a title one school you'll find this for all populations they're not sure how to help their children they're not sure how to um, work with their kids on homework and and they feel very intimidated by the material a lot a lot of times and depending on the grade levels. But another reason is because they are they are offered incentives by schools not to be involved, and and what I mean by that is, for instance, um, let's take a public charter. Uh, this would be true for traditional charter, uh, traditional schools as well, but maybe not to the extent of maybe a charter school, because what they do is they have a longer extended day. So they have a longer extended day. That means they're not with you on a longer day. So that is more accommodating maybe to their job schedule. Um, Number two, you pick them up. You provide transportation uh, for that parent no longer has to uh, even take their kid to school or pick them up. Right. And then they stay after school for sports. And so it's very, very common that your child doesn't even come home till about seven o'clock or so once they, you know, as they get older. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, they they feed your child. You're no longer, you no longer have that need to provide for your child. Someone else is feeding them. Um, they're feeding them breakfast. We even, I mean, schools a lot now, you have to feed them in the classroom. So teachers have become, who's doing that? Mm-hmm. That's not academic. You're taking the place of the parent, so you feed them breakfast, you feed them lunch, you keep them till about five. Then you have sports with them and do their extracurriculars. Then you provide at the at the charter school that I was working at for a while. We literally gave over the counter medicine to them. We had to supply, um, you know, Advil and Tylenol and for headaches and and tums for nervous stomachs and eye drops and. You're, you're now providing even their medical mm-hmm. needs, right? So why should a parent do that? Engage. Why? Why? You get really comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. and you you, you you' giving your child over to be cared for by someone else. It's too easy not to get involved.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening in to these urgently important topics. And be sure to join us on Thursday as we bring you part two of this conversation. And be sure to check out the website at fearlessfeatures.org. And you can also sign up for our newsletter by texting We Are Fearless to 22828. Have a blessed day.